Welcome, Dawn. Thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of our podcast. The topic today is sustainability reporting. And Dawn, you are Managing Director of ELS Europe, member of the EU Sustainable Finance Technical Expert Group, and member of the EFRAC Task Force on Reporting of Non-Financial Risks and Opportunities. And I'm very honored to have you with me today and hear more about all of your different roles and activities. And maybe to start off, Can you please tell us a bit more about yourself and your role at ELS Europe? What do you do? How did your interest in sustainability start? What is your path that led you to this role? Hi, Laura. Thank you very much for inviting me here today. It's a pleasure to speak with you on this podcast. Um, so where did I start? Um, I grew up in a rural area in Ireland on a farm, actually, and my interest in environmental protection and sustainable development began in my early childhood and teenage years. Uh, I observed around me destruction of peatlands, um, developments that resulted in uh, dumping of waste, municipal waste being dumped in the countryside and pollution of local waterways. And as a child, my response was to identify these and think about why they were happening. Um, and there was a general governance issue that dilution was a solution to pollution, that if it was out of sight, it was out of mind. And I wanted to take that on. I wanted to change the perception of the world um, and to change governance. And even though I characterize it now as governance, as a child, I just saw it as people that were perpetuating problems and, uh, and things that were happening around me and, and what can I do? So I studied natural sciences in Trinity College Dublin. And uh, one of my first detailed studies was on the effluent from a pharmaceutical company going into the Dublin Bay, which was having physiochemical consequences and ecological consequences of the bay. So I studied that and also interviewed the company, uh, the local authority, and basically the company's license fell between stools and everyone was just quite happy to let all of this discharge which was a white powdery discharge out into the bay so again this was another example of my investigation and trying to do something about this um, and I then emigrated to the US and I worked with um, insurance companies studying uh, companies who had impacted the environment and were uh, responsible parties under Superfund and I investigated a lot of um, uh, past mistakes that were made by companies um, associated with landfills and pollution of soil and groundwater. Mm -hmm. So all of my work was around this. And, and that was a path in my first early years and, and studying and early work years that led me to where I, I work now. So you have a real personal uh, connection to the topic, right? And I think that's something that I hear from many people who are passionate about sustainability, that it really started in their early childhood, right? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that really forms your drive and uh, ambition in this area and your understanding yeah. uh, of all the different parties that are involved. And now you're also a member of the EU Sustainable Finance Technical Expert Group and AFRAC Task Force. So maybe you can tell me and our listeners a little bit more about this um, part of your activities, because I think that's also something that is at the moment very current and very much in movement, right? Absolutely. And this has been a tremendous part of 
motivation and and eagerness to continue with the work that I've spent my life to date working on. Um, now, the technical expert group was convened in 2018, and I was appointed early in 2018. And we commenced our work that summer, and we completed that first phase, which is now in uh, the official journal of the EU as delegated regulations one and two to the EU taxonomy. Mm-hmm. So that work um, finished in September 2021. So the TEG has now been replaced by the Sustainable Finance Platform, and I'm not a member of the Sustainable Finance Platform, but they're continuing the work that we started. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that was a very exciting time, also a very demanding time. I was working full-time whilst also working with the European Commission on Development um, of the Taxonomy, um, and I co-chaired Do No Significant Harm Technical mm-hmm. Screening Criteria across four objectives, um, uh, circular economy, water resources, pollution prevention and protection of biodiversity and this work was um, extremely interesting we brought in hundreds of experts across the tag I myself had uh, almost 40 experts with my Mm co-chair and um, we organized them into groups to work on different subsectors we did a huge amount of footwork on it and then condensed it down as I said when we started it was the thickness of a dictionary (laughs) but by the time we had gone through all the stakeholder feedback it was like the thickness of one sheet of paper we (laughs) really had to uh, condense it uh, Mm. and refine it but I believe that it's very um, uh, practically implementable now as a result of that and I think that it's uh, really going to help shift our um, businesses and activities uh, into sustainable uh, operations. And then as a continuation of that work, I was appointed as co-chair on a study uh, organized by the European Financial Reporting Mm -hmm. and Advisory Group, EFRAG, on good company reporting uh, on risks and opportunities and linkage to the business model. And this was to me a natural continuation of the work I did on the taxonomy, Mm -hmm. a necessary step as it was. We now set criteria and I wanted to move into helping companies understand this and, and know how to mm-hmm. strategically orientate and report on it, mm-hmm. um, as well as other non-EU taxonomy criteria that are available for them to report on. And uh, this was a, an extremely interesting study. Again, I worked with my, my co-chair on this. And, you know, we came away with with some really key insights into how companies operate and the motivation of employees within organizations to really do something and Mm -hmm. change the world for the better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think you mentioned a couple of really important points, right? This uh, really complexity of the topic, but then having to break it down to manageable uh, standards, right? And then being able to translate it into the business Mm -hmm. practice world, right? I think these are really uh, steps that have to be managed very carefully, right? Absolutely. And that care comes from listening to stakeholders and and not dampening ambition, but bringing everyone on board and ensuring that all of perspectives possible are taken on board. Mm-hmm. Um, during the development of that. So it's it's um, a multidisciplinary task and it requires a range of skill sets that mm-hmm. are best found in a group of people. And I think working together is key to a successful outcome. 
So at the moment, we see really a huge momentum around sustainability reporting. And maybe for our listeners, can you summarize from your eyes, what are the most important current developments? And how do you see this currently ongoing consolidation and standardization? Uh, yes, I'm very inspired by the continued momentum in Europe, our institutions, our companies and our, our citizens um, and transparency builds understanding and trust. Uh, it's key to encouraging individuals and companies to improve their actions and to build sustainable business models. And uh, this is done through many ways, sourcing materials from from acceptable production processes and reducing new materials, enhancing circular economy and, and reducing hazardous substances, etc. Um, so this momentum that has been building in Europe is now being developed into standards um, that support the EU taxonomy and of course our arising out of the corporate sustainability reporting directive. And, um, you know, key to our reporting is understanding our risks, our opportunities, the impacts and the mm -hmm. outcomes, and also linking that to financial outcomes, the revenue, the capex, the opex. Um, and environmental stressors are themselves linked to one another. So when we address one problem, we're giving consideration to a host of potential negative outcomes, which we're going to manage through our risk management management process, but also positive outcomes, which are our opportunities. Mm -hmm. And um, so on the one hand, we're uh, tackling a range of problems, but on the other, we're really bringing out many positive outcomes environmentally and socially mm -hmm. for medium and long term. Um, and so the drive for sustainability reporting is putting this on the table and it's saying to companies, uh, you, you need to report on this, uh, organizations and stakeholders, your employees, your investors, um, your creditors, all need to understand how you are um, uh, managing the difficulties and the, um, uh, say, stressors that we have upon us, but also how are you availing of the opportunities? Um, and so the aim of sustainability reporting is to make sure that information is understandable, mm -hmm. it's relevant, it's, it's representative, it's verifiable, and that it's faithful to the truth, and that companies are showing how they're effectively managing risks and how they are building opportunities and making the most of it. So um, this has to be unlocked pretty much at the same time, you know, as I said, we've interrelated environmental stressors, social stressors as well that are interrelated to that. So we need to act and report better together uh, to address multiple challenges whilst unlocking the multiple opportunities. Mm -hmm. And also we need to have faith that others, our competitors, our partners are also compelled to do this mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that we do it together. And this holistic, uh, organized way could only be done through Europe's institutions and the corporate sustainability report directive as well as the taxonomy and the sustainable finance reporting um, regulation under the, the sustainable finance strategy is holistically bringing all of this together and I know to practitioners who might be starting in this area it might seem like an awful lot at one time but it is absolutely necessary when you consider we have spent you know mm -hmm. scores of years operating our businesses with, with just a very very marginal mm -hmm. attention to environmental and social factors and now we're putting it fore and centre in the strategy of our entire economy through the Green Deal. So there's a lot to be done and we all need to work together to achieve what needs to be done. 
Yeah, speaking of fears of practitioners, maybe we can stick with the EU taxonomy for a second. Yes. Because I think that's one topic where a lot of practitioners are actually worried about complexity, increased bureaucracy, that a new market is created for consultancies that make a lot of money from this, right? So yes. maybe uh, let's talk about the taxonomy a bit and your perception of it. So can you maybe briefly explain in your eyes what the EU taxonomy is and does, how it affects companies? And then maybe we can talk uh, for a minute about this current discussion about gas and nuclear as sustainable energies, especially now against the current background of Putin's invasion into the Ukraine. I think it has gained a new relevance, right? Yes, absolutely. So the taxonomy, it's a classification system and it establishes a list of environmentally sustainable economic activities. So at the moment, it's focused on environmental aspects, um, but it is, of course, being built by the platform to also include social. So this was the overarching ambition all along. Um, I believe from our tech work, our overarching ambition was not just to stay with the sectors that we brought in, which were the hard to abate. You know, We obviously had limited time and resources to do the work in the two-year span, but ultimately the ambition has always been to bring all sectoral activities into a classification system that defines what is sustainable. And you know the terms used are um, substantial contribution to one environmental objective and no significant harm to the other. So you're striking a balance, you're transforming the economy, but in doing that, you're not undermining that by creating problems that are going to have consequences later on and undermine the overall ambition to, for sustainable development. So that's the core concept of the taxonomy. How that's put into practice is really up to the developers of the technical screening criteria. Mm -hmm. And I gave you some insight into how it starts by being very complex, but then obviously you want to make it a, a tool for users mm -hmm. so that it becomes condensed down. But there's no easy way to explain this. There's no silver bullet. Um, mm -hmm. What I will say is that while some um, uh, say, people who criticize the taxonomy um, say that, well, it's so big. Well, you can focus on one sectoral activity. And when you look at the substantial contribution criteria, you know, it could be one sentence, it could be mm -hmm. half a page. Um, you see very quickly that when you focus on that, you can really get your head around it and understand what a substantial contribution is and what no significant harm is. Um, so the concept is that, um, The architecture of the taxonomy is uh, it's designed to help users in that it splits environmental objectives up and social objectives up. But in reality, these are all interrelated. Mm -hmm. um, so if you want to uh, lower greenhouse gas emissions, you have to protect biodiversity and, and mm -hmm. water resources to do that. You have to improve circular economy. Uh, you can't take one objective and say, mm -hmm. I'm working on that to deal with climate mitigation. Uh, you have to take them all holistically. And I think sometimes that's lost in the detail um, and it, there's re-messaging coming out ar around that, but mm -hmm. I, 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 that's something that, that needs to be very clear about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So gas and nuclear, um, as co-chair of Do No Significant Harm, um, I co-chaired a small study group on nuclear. Um, we didn't, uh, unlike the other sectors, we didn't select the experts. We were given a group of experts uh, mm -hmm. pre-formed. Um, and uh, effectively, um, the group uh, on a basis of a, um, uh, the majority thinking on this decided that 
the taxonomy architecture is not designed to cater for such intergeneration Mm-hmm. intergenerational risks that arise from high level waste mm-hmm. um, which it, it lasts for thousands of years and and this makes it unsuitable uh, as an instrument to decide on the sustainable nature of nuclear power and um, we recommended that nuclear not be included on the taxonomy mm-hmm. so that decision is now being reviewed um, the GRC have conducted a study mm-hmm. um, I, I maintain our finding we um, use the expert opinion brought in by the group of experts. We also undertook, my co-chair and I undertook our own research on this, and Mm -hmm. we were left in no doubt that the nuclear activity um, should not be included um, Mm -hmm. as it currently is in the taxonomy. Um, Gas, um, and I have to say as well, we weren't allowed to consider economic aspects. We had Mm -hmm. to look purely at the environmental Mm -hmm. uh, and we weren't looking at social because the social taxonomy was not part uh, of it um, uh, other than minimum social safeguards, which is a ground floor um, requirement based on ILO and UN principles, Mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, But uh, from our perspective, um, the high level waste, as I said, is an intergenerational issue. It can't be resolved. Um, it's an issue that seems to be just kicked down the road um, by nuclear advocates um, or ignored, and it's an integral part of the life cycle of the activity and should be considered. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference between gas and nuclear is that in a certain respect, uh, gas tap can be turned off. Um, uh, it had been included with quite strict criteria, which were relaxed in the next iteration after the text recommendations. Um, But in the context of the social aspects that you mentioned, the war in Ukraine, which I just want to say is is quite a horrendous activity that we're seeing, um, and um, my thoughts are with the Ukrainian people and the um, absolute devastation that's been caused there. Um, But on this topic of gas, yes, it's now been used as a a, a, essentially a weapon, an economic weapon. Um, We see here again the centralization of energy, whether it's nuclear um, uh, or whether it's gas, it leads to potentially autocratic regimes having great control over other democratic mm-hmm. countries. Um, and this uh, centralization of energy or power in and of itself deprives people of the uh, decision-making capacity that they have around renewables. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I also want to mention as well the fact that the um, Russian soldiers um, held uh, the Ukrainian staff at the Zaporizhia as well as Chernobyl plants in a highly stressful um, uh, and fatigued um, conditions. Um, Power was cut off by the fighting to these plants so they could Uh, you know, the cooling capacity was put under question and also shelling occurred inside plant boundaries and trench digging. So you see, again, this is a threat uh, when you have a dangerous energy source um, uh, that we have now political conflict, a war, um, the imposition of one country on another country's sovereignty, threatening not only economically, but also environmentally, as well as the gross and, and terrible loss of human life in that country. So um, 
this deprives people of decisions, um, people who have a right to, to have renewable and clean energy. Um, and I agree with the opinions of many experts that even if the EU taxonomy does provide reputational support to these types of investments, that this is not going to improve their economic performance. And this, as mm -hmm. I said, was something we did not have the option to look at. Um, it, this is a matter of long-term industrial policy and market realities. It's a matter of finding a low-cost supply and renewables do much much better than nuclear gas uh, on a number of economic and social indicators, capital costs, time to complete, social fairness and equity, and also the long-term environmental liabilities that are associated with, with the, uh, nuclear and gas. And uh, they simply will not compete and timelines are not suitable enough either, especially for nuclear. So um, the realities of technology and economics will beat the politics on this. And I agree with the experts who say this, and I've heard many of them. Yeah, and I think you mentioned uh, also these risks that we never had in mind, right, or that were at least uh, a lot less discussed, like geopolitical conflicts as a threat. Yes. Nuclear waste, of course, we always discuss this, right, and the long-term issues, but really seeing how quickly uh, a country like Ukraine can get into a situation where there are different dangers from nuclear yes. that we had, didn't have on the list, right, I think that's um, shocking, yeah. And also, I mean, what you mentioned about the EU's proactive role with regard to decarbonization, I think we can see now that it's also a threat to regimes like uh, Russia, right? And that uh, this um, proactive role is maybe something that is, um, yeah, very important to us, but it can be seen as a threat by other, other parts of the world, right? Well, this is it. You are now going to be energy independent. Um, you can make decisions around your economy, um, uh, uh, around this extremely important yeah. resource. So, um, it, yeah, uh, uh, but I think ultimately it's, it's the viewpoint of the other party if we're all yeah. working together to achieve this as i said if we all jump together whether it's company level or government level we all benefit and yeah. we we create more opportunities between us um, and we shift in better timelines so that's what we want to achieve so trust building is extremely important mm -hmm. yeah. and and this is where transparency comes in because transparency builds trust um, and it is a core principle of the eu and it's something that requires a lot of guidance on because uh, companies haven't been doing it up to now and it's it's extremely important that we we get it as right as we can mm -hmm. um, it won't be perfect it will have its flaws but we'll work with it because our overarching aim is the same and this is uh, protection of the environment halting degradation mm -hmm. of biodiversity uh, water uh, impacts and reducing our greenhouse gas emissions and adapting to climate um, and this is the big war that's on this is the planetary emergency we have mm -hmm. and um, we, everything we do uh, is building towards um, ensuring we, we win this and that we mm -hmm. ensure our, our survival in the long term. And I think you raised this critical um, term trust, creating trust, right? And I think especially what we see now in terms of polarization, also in the EU, in the political field, trust is really a key issue. And uh, you said firms uh, should take a leading role in creating trust. And we've talked about standardization and reporting and transparency. And maybe what we could do now is based on your experience, can you tell us a bit about what do you think are the really good practices at the moment in sustainability reporting? And also based on your assessment of risks and opportunities, what are the most important weaknesses of firms' current reporting practices? What would you say? 
Yes, so um, I did mention the ESRS, European Sustainability Reporting mm -hmm. Standard. So I'm just so pleased with the work that's happening there and they're being drafted in a very timely way. Um, and our work was the avant-garde part of that in that we were going out looking at good reporting and seeing what's out there in, in the world at the moment. Um, so what are we considering in, in good practices and um, what are the weaknesses? So let me break it down into simple terms. If I'm um, a CEO of a company and we're starting on this for the first time, um, I, I obviously this is embedded in the strategy. So it's not just about transparency, it's about strategy and transparency is a window into the heart of the organization. Um, and, and that organization is competing, it's building, it's bringing in new employees, it's providing opportunities to communities. So it's an integral part of its local and international environment. Um, so so it's not, it's a, not a one size fits all. But what I, the steps I would be pointing out to is number one, provide a clear explanation of the company's business model and value creation. Mm -hmm. And this includes key elements of your mission, vision, governance, the different business activities and segments that they're broken out into. And then of course, the impacts. And this is where you're getting into the materiality conversations. I won't delve into that now, but uh, the, the good impacts, the more negative impacts, which require risk management and how they're being managed and what ultimately the outcomes are and, mm -hmm. and, and how this links back into the value chain. Now, when we bring in the EU taxonomy, and I'll talk about this again, this, this is a classification system and it has key technical screening criteria, which can be built into targets, um, but it can also be used as a risk management tool in uh, the uh, evaluation of business impacts and, and outcomes and, and strategic positioning. Um, so it's another added tool to this process that can be built into it. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, if I may, uh, describe the company's short, medium and long-term plans and targets. And, and this, again, is where you bring in, for example, technical screening criteria as your KPIs. Um, understand the company's dependencies, their current and potential impacts and outcomes um, across the entire life cycle of products and services. And consider, you know, as I said, the positive and negative uh, impacts and, and how you're going to deal with it mm -hmm. and prioritize them. Um, identifying, you know, your raw materials, also what tools you're going to use. The European standards will be obviously a requirement for many companies, but it can be used on a voluntary basis for many others, either SMEs in Europe that may not fall under the CSRD, but also international organizations. Um, and explain how the company plans to prevent or reduce undesired impacts um, and, and potential uh, issues uh, along their value chain and also how it's going to avail of the opportunities, which could be welfare of employees and other stakeholders, as well as the lower GHG emissions, uh, improvements in biodiversity and circular economy. And again, trust building and enhancement of the value. Um, and one gap when you talk about a weakness uh, that we identify, and I do study companies from day to day, it's my, my daily work now, <laughs> um, the, the big weaknesses are poor articulation of the business um, mm -hmm. value and, uh, and model. Um, uh, so the value creation in the business model itself, um, a failure to connect 
the sustainability related targets and the accomplishments mm -hmm. to their revenue capex and opex so that connection of financial and non-financial mm -hmm. um and also missed opportunities just that completely sometimes viewed as a burden that has to be done when in fact this is an opportunity opener for organizations internally and externally I fully agree. I couldn't agree more on the missed opportunities <laughs> point because, of course, I'm also working with companies a lot and I see really uh, a lot of variation, right? Uh, some companies yeah. are the pioneering ones. They are completely open to this change that is coming, adopting it and being very positive about the opportunities that it offers for them. And then there are these companies that are kind of reactive, kind trying to prevent everything that is happening um, and I think that this is something um, that also relates maybe to the point that you said you won't go deeper into the materiality analysis, right? And I, I see that a lot of companies see this as a reporting tool. And I always like to say that, well, here is a definitely a missed opportunity because it's, it's kind of a strategy tool, right? And it should yes. be used as that. Maybe you can go a bit deeper into that for us. Yes. So as I said, you know, the, the reporting is a window into the strategy. This, this strategic positioning of a company is what you, it's all about. And companies are built um, in order to compete, to create new products and services, um, to build relationships between suppliers, um, uh, to uh, hire people that have particular and diverse uh, skill sets. So without a good strategy, um, a company is not going to meet the needs of its clients or its customers, whether it's business to business or business to consumer. And um, their disclosures are just telling a small part. It's like taking a picture. Um, and it's a very important picture. It's, it's as important as their financial disclosures or sustainability related uh, disclosures are being put on equal footing as their financial. Mm -hmm. um, so how they're going to orientate their products and services, how they're going to um, employ people, what skill sets they're going to reskill for and retrain. Um, all of this speaks to the sustainability of their business model. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not an arm of it. It's not an attachment. It's a core mission that they will need to embrace, uh, whether it's an investor, financial organization, or a non-financial organization. Uh, it is not, um, as I say, uh, um, external to the organization. It has to be brought in internally. And developed as part of their strategy and there are ways and means to do that there are the key steps I mentioned some of them there but the standards will provide even more detail around mm -hmm. how deep you need to go and, and what the background work is for this how you're going to collect your data etc maybe a quick follow-up about this point um, because that's something that I observe in many companies as well that they introduce sustainability uh, reporting for example but in the end it really changes the overall culture of the organization because so many processes have to be redesigned and so many people have to um, to be brought on board right how do you observe yeah. this well I think people are by nature technically ingenious and I think we are just collaborators and Uh, when a company strikes that right and they open up opportunities for their own employees internally, mm -hmm. um, I think this just really sets the stage for um, a grassroots movement mm -hmm. to 
really push and motivate um, change within the organization. And, and some of that change has already started. As you mentioned, there are organizations that have already went down this road. Mm-hmm. Um, so the process of designing a sustainability strategy or enhancing the existing one is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are seeing and reading and observing first-hand evidence of degradation of our environment and overconsumption of resources. They see it in their own lives, their communities, and they now have an opportunity to enhance and, and change their organization and to bring even more meaning to their work um, by helping to solve this problem of business as usual and become a, a, a sustainable organization in a sustainable business model in a sustainable economy. Um, and so this process of working through the problems and solving them just engenders trust and relationship building. It energizes people to give their best to to the existential cause um, of sustainable development, but also their job security and creation of new jobs for their generation and for next generation. Um, And and just seeing the enterprise value of the companies they work for um, just grow and and become more viable in an ever-changing world. Um, And we all want peace and prosperity. We all want health and well-being of our family and of our community and our natural and built environment. So I I don't believe there's any lack of will there. It's the know-how. And this is where our institutions, and I want to mention not only the great work that the European institutions are doing, but also the IFRS, the ISSB. This has been done internationally um, across a huge range of of, um, countries globally. And this is a drive that brings everyone on board and everyone is going to prosper from. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... When I say it's a, a very exciting um, time, it, it is. It's also a risky time because we need to do this along very strict timelines mm-hmm. and we have to make it right. We can't exchange one problem for another problem. When mm-hmm. we make a decision, we have to know that we are not undermining objectives, either environmentally or socially, that are going to have long-term adverse consequences. We mm-hmm. want to ensure we're making decisions that build a better future for all. And companies are at the heart of that, uh, along with our governments um, and, mm-hmm. and our citizens. Yeah, speaking of uh, making the right decisions about methods and standards, um, maybe before I get to my last question, uh, one final topic I would like to hear your opinion on is this development that is currently going on amongst uh, a couple of big companies to uh, use methods of impact measurement and valuation and also using, for example, monetary valuation of impacts. Um, How do you perceive that development and do you think it's beneficial or do you see dangers that come with it? Okay, so um, you know, we I hope we're talking about the same topic here because on the one hand, as I said to you, companies do need to link their sustainability um, impacts and outcomes to their business model, their revenue, their capex, their opex. So this mm-hmm. means that investors are able to allocate a proportion of their activity that's achieving either EU taxonomy mm-hmm. or, or you know the promotion of environmental or social um, uh, characteristics, and this is absolutely necessary. 
necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're also putting sustainability related reporting on a footing with financial mm-hmm. um, sustainability aspects are financial, they're pre-financial um, and they need to be considered, uh, you know, in the context of cash flow and liabilities and mm-hmm. assets. Um, so in that sense, I think that it's really important that we are linking and assigning monetary mm-hmm. values to positive and negative impacts and outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, can you put a price on nature? Can you put a price on, on living, on food, on the air we breathe, on the water we drink? No, you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, these are essential rights that everyone has. We all, all have a right to have clean air everyone has a right to have clean water. So mm-hmm. when I buy my clothes, I have to consider, um, a, a, are, is the textile manufacturing of that object destroying other people's water resources? And it, 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 mm-hmm. there are cases where it is, and a lot of cases, sadly. So um, whilst I mentioned to you, in, I studied companies in, from the 1980s that fell under the US Superfund and RICRA laws, mm-hmm. um, you know, to my consternation, that same type of, you know, gross pollution still happens in developing countries Mm -hmm. and the products are are shipped to developed countries where we have clean activities, relatively clean and and well monitored. So we need to be thinking about the full life cycle of Mm -hmm. everything we buy and 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 uh, and how we're impacting on nature and on these systems that are priceless. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've kind of answered that in both contexts. Very, very good answer. Thank you so much. So coming to my last question, you know that I have this question, if you could post one sentence on social media, which the whole world would read right now, what would it be? I have given this question some thought and and in the context of our discussion and also the state that the world is in at the moment, I would say three things, if I may. Seek truth and knowledge and use it for good. Nurture contentment in order to appreciate and safeguard what we have and nurture strength of spirit to prepare for future needs. I really like that. Thank you so much. So thank you, Dawn, also for taking the time today to be with us and to give us all these insights into your work. Um, Thank you also to our audience uh, for joining us as guests. And uh, yeah, hope to speak to you again in the future and have a great day. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Thank you, Laura. (laughs) Bye-bye.